Well, we f still find ourselves in the book of Judges. And uh, so if you uh, want to open your Bibles to chapter 14 in the book of Judges, uh, we'll pick up from there. Uh, last time we, we saw Samson getting married. <clears throat> he was at the wedding feast and um, the Wedding celebration was going to last about seven days, and um, during that uh, celebration, um, there was a riddle read, and uh, Samson challenged the Philistine men who were present to answer that riddle, and a little wager was set on the side, having having to do with clothing. Um, if Samson uh, one, then they would give him um, 30 outfits of clothes. And if they won, then Sans Samson would give them the same number of clothes. <clears throat> so that's the setting we find ourselves in as a, as a quick review. Um, clothing in the, the biblical times is a sign of dignity and office. Um, so it wasn't uh, just a casual off-the-cuff uh, uh, bet. Uh, we know that priests wore special clothing and that certain colors of clothing were more expensive because the dyes that were used to create those colors in the clothes uh, were harder to come by and the process was uh, a little bit uh, more challenging. So you could actually... Uh, see the economic status of someone could be determined pretty closely by the kind of clothes that they wore. So uh, <clears throat> this was a, a contest of, a clothing was a kind of a contest of honor. Uh, if Samson won, the Philistines would have to honor him with a gift of clothing. And giving him a uh, kind of a recognition, giving him a a kind of dignity by offering this to him. And this could very well have been a sign of their salvation if they had followed through with this. Uh, they might have seen that it, their need was to submit themselves to the uh, judge of, of Israel. Um, on the other hand, if uh, they had won, then Samson would have to give them clothing and again, this would be a kind of a sign of uh, domination, if you will, of the Philistines over Israel. So all of that would be part of the symbolism that the writer of this narrative is going to incorporate. So uh, while the symbolism here is not everything, and the men could very well give Samson clothes without recognizing him or, or kneeling to his uh, dignity, um, they would probably give him clothes without thinking any more highly of him than otherwise would. But I don't think the symbolism would be totally lost on them uh, because they were determined not to lose and they did not want to uh, bend a knee to the judge of Israel. So Samson gave these uh, Philistines seven days at uh, the length of the feast at the end of that day uh, was a day of judgment and a day of reckoning. Uh, some kind of resolution had to, to come about. 
So we find ourselves in uh, verse 15 of chapter 14. Then it came about on the seventh day that they said to Samson's wife, Entice your husband that he may tell us the riddle, lest we burn you and your father's house with fire. Have you invited us to impoverish us? Is this not so? And Samson's wife wept before him and said, You only hate me, and you don't love me, and you have profounded a riddle to the sons of my people, and they have not told it to me. And he said to her, Behold, I have not told it to my father or mother, so should I tell you? However, she wept before, the, before him seven days while their feast lasted. And it came about on the seventh day that he told her because she pressed him so hard. She then told the riddle to the sons of her people. So the men of the city said to him on the seventh day, just before the sun went down, What is sweeter than honey? And what is stronger than a lion? And he said to them, If you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have found out my riddle. Then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and mightily, and he went down to Ashkelon, and killed thirty of them, and took their spoil, and gave the changes of clothes to those who told the riddle. And this anger and his anger burned, and he went home to his father's house. But Samson's wife was given to his companion, who had been his friend or possibly best man at the wedding. I think there's some question here about the chronological order of, of this passage that we just read. Um, she wept and, and begged for him for seven days, but according to the passage here, the men did not come to her until the seventh day. So I believe that's probably they told her on the first day that uh, find the answer for us, otherwise you're going to be in trouble, and then probably returned to her on the seventh day and really uh, laid it on the line to her. Um, so <clears throat> so we see that uh, she wept uh, all seven days in verse 17. Um, but most likely, again, they really probably put their fear into her on the seventh day so that she pressed him for the answer. So I, personally, I believe that Samson knew exactly what he was doing all this time. Uh, he was testing her. Um, he had not told the riddle to his parents. And so if the 30 men were going to find out the answer to this riddle, it would have to come from her. And, uh, so I think possibly Samson wanted to see if she would trust him and his strength and his God, or if she would fear and trust the men of the Philistines. Um, she would have to decide which was stronger and would have to cast her lot with one side or the other.
The reason I think this is that if you look at Judges 15:6, she feared the Philistines when they threatened to burn her house down, and the consequences of her action was that her house was burnt down. So she feared the wrong party. She trusted the strength of the weaker force. In answer to the riddle, the 30 men ask, what is sweeter than honey? And what is stronger than a lion? Well, I, <clears throat> having read the riddle and having studied this section, we already know that Samson is stronger than a lion. But uh, had the Philistines forgotten this point uh, of the riddle? Um, they missed the whole object. It, it was Samson that killed the lion. And they should have considered that, I think, uh, in their actions. They're about to find out who's stronger than lion, and that would be Samson and his actions to follow. But then the question is, um, what is sweeter than honey? And the Bible answers that as well. In Psalms 19.10, it says, The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, much than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than the honey from the honeycomb. By them your servants is warned. In keeping them, there is a great reward. So what is sweeter than honey? It's the law of the Lord. It's God's word. So now we see things coming around full circle. Samson, the anointed one, is the strong one who offers something sweet to Israel and to the Philistines. It's the word of God. And Samson, the deliverer, is the eater of the honey who offers something to eat, which is the sweet word of God. Unfortunately, the Philistines missed that point, or they rejected the word of God. So Samson views his wife's betrayal as a form of adultery. It is not hard to see some of the sexual overtones in the phrase, plowing with the heifer. The wife is to hear and follow her husband. Failure to do so is a form of adultery because it shows a sense of faithful, faithlessness. And that's what Samson is pointing out here. In the background, again, is, is this riddle. If you get the riddle right, we mentioned the Sphinx, Sphinx last week, then he's to let you pass by uh, free and unharmed. So the riddle is a key here. Samson really won the contest. They could not figure out the riddle. Thus, he and his wife should have been secure from any attack uh, that was um, brought against them. And again, what we see here is that, that, culturally speaking, there is a sense of hospitality that is being rejected here. Hospitality was a, a very important uh, part of the culture of the Middle East, and that if you had somebody within your house, you dealt with them in a very respectful and humble way. And we see the Philistines here rejecting that uh, rule of hospitality. 
they forced his wife to tell him the rule, the answer to the riddle. So even in our own judicial system here today, today's no man's wife is forced to betray them in a court of law. But we see the Philistines requiring that of this new bride. So by bringing these events to pass, Samson and the Lord are making clear to Israel what the Philistines are really like. They're pointing out to Israel that the Philistines cheat, that their guardian lion had been defeated, but they could not defeat the true judge of Israel, Samson. And so as a result, they had to attack his wife in order to win the contest. So these are lessons that Samson is trying to bring out to the people of Israel to stir them up, to stand against the Philistines. Then Samson goes on and steals clothes to give them. So the question arises, is this an immoral act? So any thoughts so far? What do you think was this stealing? Or any other ideas up to this point? Okay. I think that what I'm trying to build here is that there are opportunities along the way um, dealing with, with the Philistines and, and his actions as a, as a form of preaching um, because the Lord was with him. We, we read that in this part here. And the Lord came upon him mightily. And when we get to the second to the end of the, the story, we see that God withdraws the spirit from him, and he does fall into great sin. And his, <clears throat> what I'm trying to say here is that I don't believe his character at the beginning was the same as a character at the end of the story. And because we see God taking action against him in the end of the story, where here we see God supporting um, some of the things he's doing. Um, now, we do know that God has had his spirit in men, and they have done things wrong. And so that's a very distinct possibility here as well. So...
Well, that was what I said when we first started this, that normally there's this calling by the people uh, for a deliverer, and there's this sense of repentance and turning to God. There was none of that in this situation. The Israelites, as Vince said here, is, is, has never called out uh, for repentance. They just wanted to deliver without repenting. Okay. Okay. Let me bounce back here to verse 20 and see which one. Read that to me. What, what were you referring to? Okay. But Samson didn't give the wife. It was the father who gives the wife. She stayed, at, she stayed at the house, and when Samson comes back, which we'll get to in a minute, the father had already given her to somebody else. He, well, yeah, I, I definitely, there's two, there's a couple of possibilities which I'll mention here. Um, that is definitely one of them, yeah.
That's what, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And and later on it talks about, you know, the culture chasing after the Philistine culture. The Israelites were chasing after the Philistines. Is that any different than some of our modern churches today? We're letting the world come in. We're not separated from the world, you know. We're chasing some of the churches today are chasing after the things of this world just like they did. Definitely lessons for us today. Good, good arguments, good input. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> so was this an immoral thing that he stole these clothes? Well, Judges 15.11 says, And they did to me, so I have done to them. So here we see Samson as a judge of Israel. And he's living by this uh, strict rule, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And what Samson does in uh, Judges 14:19 is a direct payback for what was done to him. And so you might say, well, how, how does that work? Well, just as 30 men did not themselves figure out the riddle, but got their answer elsewhere, so Samson does not give them his clothes, but he gets them from elsewhere. So it's kind of an eye-for-an-eye situation here. Again, you could interpret the fact that, you know, he stole these clothes and thou shalt not steal. Uh, but also keep in mind, uh, they're living in a state of war as well. <clears throat> Samson travels from where the wedding feast is at, at Timnah, and he goes to Ashkelon to get the clothes, and he kills 30 men. That's a 30-mile trek. He didn't just go out next door and kill somebody in the same town where the wedding feast was. But he travels over 30 miles, and Ashkelon is on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. And uh, there's no Uber riding, um, no mass transit here. So it's going to take him a while to get there and get back, especially if he's burdened down with all these clothes that he's bringing back. So I found that fascinating to think that... Uh, um, that was what he did and where he did it. And the question of, well, killing 30 men and taking their stuff, again, they're involved in an act of war here. The Philistines have invaded their country. And um, being the judge of Israel, uh, Samson um, is acting during a time of war. 
I'm not trying to justify it. I'm just saying I can see, um, I can see what happens here. So we now come to the second half of the story. Um, we've got uh, to move on to chapter 15, and that's the second part of the story here. Before I do that, I wanted to, again, go into this idea of, of uh, literary uh, technique that we mentioned last week of parallelism. Uh, last week I gave you two verses, and, and we saw how they were parallel. And this week uh, there are two chapters, chapter 14 that we just finished, chapter 15, which we're about to start, are good examples of how the literary technique of parallelism works out. And chapter 14 has four episodes, each of which begins with someone going down. And chapter 15 also has four episodes, each of which begins with someone going somewhere. In the four episodes in chapter 14, what is at the center of it is telling, somebody telling something. In chapter 15, what is in the center of everything is somebody doing, doing something. So we see these episodes are parallel to one another. In chapter 14, we saw words like told, tell, or said, words that relate to conversation or communication. As we read chapter 15, look out for words that say do or did or done. Words that show express action. The fourth episode of each case is the climax of the story. In chapter 14, we have a whole series of conversations. In chapter 15, we have a whole series of actions. And in both chapters, there are three characters, basically. There's Samson, the hero, the Philistines, the enemy, and then there's a third party involved here. Uh, and the third party is who the Philistines use to get what they want. So in uh, chapter 14, uh, it was the, um, the Philistine uh, bride that they used. And in chapter 15, it was the Judaites uh, from the tribe of Judah that they used to get what they want. So in each case, the Philistines succeed at what they had wanted and, and obtain what they wanted. The uh, bride tells them the answer to the riddle, and the people of Judah deliver over Samson to them in chapter 15. In each episode, at the point where the Philistines appear to have the upper hand, I mentioned this last week, it's kind of like God's humor here, just when they think they've got the upper hand and they got the riddle, and they've got Samson. Then we see that Yahweh uh, uh, changes things around and, and uses Samson uh, to thwart their plans. He uses Samson to go to Ashkelon and to uh, bring back the clothes from there and smite 30 Philistines. In chapter 15, Samson arrives at Lehi, and the spirit comes upon him, and he smites a 1,000 Philistines. So what we see here, theologically speaking, the passage moves from the verbal to the physical, from the word to action. And I don't want to put words in Pastor Walden's mouth, but this is similar to what he's trying to do with 
uh, the lessons on love and the service here. He preaches uh, on, on patience and he preaches on kindness. And then he encourages us to take positive action. So we go from the word to action. And all of that is based on the word of God. And so uh, very similar to what we see here in chapter 14 and 15. The difference is what we see here is that there are negative responses instead of the positive ones that pastor is trying to instill in us. Um, when given the opportunity uh, to handle the secret, we see that the bride um, uh, finally aware of the truth. Uh, how does she respond? Well, she rejects her husband and uh, pursues after the people of, the, of her nation. Her negative response is to deliver the secret, and that seals her fate. And the abuse of that secret by the Philistines for cheating, and that will seal their fate. So as a result, we see a series of calamities, of judgments in the second half of this story. Uh, we see the same literary technique uh, used in the book of Revelation. Um, in the first half of the book of Revelation, we see seven trumpets proclaiming the word of God, uh, proclaiming the judgment that was to come against the nation and against Israel. And then there is no repentance. So the second half of Revelation is, is dealing with seven uh, bowls of judgment that are poured out against them. So we see a parallel here is the same thing that we see in chapter 15 of Judges. Very similar uh, way of writing. So had Samson's wife responded with powerful humility, she would never have passed it on. And had the Philistines re <coughs> responded with a proper manner, uh, hearing the story of the lion and, and, and the, uh, Samson's killing of the lion, uh, if they had offered him certain respect, that would have been different as well. But they'd outcome. Uh, turned out to be a negative response. They did not fear God's deliverer, and therefore they did not fear God. So moving on to chapter 15, verse 1. But after a while in the same, in the time of the harvest wheat, wheat harvest, it came about that Samson visited his wife with a young goat and said, I will go to my wife in her room. But her father did not let him enter. And her father said, I really thought that you hated her intensely. So I gave her to your companion. Is not her younger sister better than her, than she? Please let her be, uh, let, excuse me, Please let her be yours instead of her. Samson then said to them, This time I shall be blameless in regard to the Philistines when I do them harm. And Samson went and caught 300 foxes or jackals and took torches and uh, turned them tail to tail and put the torch in the middle between the two tails. When he had set fire to the torches, he released them into the standing grain of the Philistines. 
thus burning up both the sh uh, shocks, that's corn, and the standing grain, along with the vineyards and groves. Samson's, <clears throat> so this is his retaliation to them. So as we've already observed, Vance has already mentioned that this, this, is a, this marriage is kind of an odd thing, at least from the surface reading here. Uh, the woman remained with her father, and we're not given a lot of details, but there's at least a couple of different uh, things that we could consider here. Um, we don't want to read a lot of stuff into this, but one thing might be that Samson did not have the money to pay for the dowry, or at least enough money. Uh, the money was given to the groom, uh, uh, to the brides, as a, uh, uh, as a form of insurance, kind of like a life insurance policy. Um, and the amount of that was negotiated by the brother or the father. Uh, we see this as in Genesis 24, uh, 50 through 60. Chapter 34 of Genesis, verse 12. It's also found in um, Exodus and 1 Samuel. It could be that Samson did not have the money to negotiate uh, proper marriage, and so the girl stayed with her father. Um, we know that from re reading Gideon that uh, he had a wife that was not legally sta in standing, so she stayed with her father. So this is not unprecedented. But... Again, don't want to read too much into this. The second way of looking at it probably makes more sense to me. Um, it was that Samson left the wedding in an angry huff and returned to his father's house. And he's now coming back to his bride after a cooling off period with a peace offering to make up for his behavior. Um, that's the, a possibility. The father-in-law informed Samson that he really believed Samson did not want the girl and gave her to another. Um, he makes an honest, honorable offer here to Samson. We've got a sister here. Um, take her instead. But Samson was not interested in that. So note that Samson does not attack the, uh, his former father-in-law, realizing he had made a... a an assumption, an honest mistake. Um, so he sees the cause of it as lying uh, totally with the Philistines who had threatened his wife and caused it all in the first place. And that's where he takes his revenge at. Again, the principle here is the judge was an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. So verse 6. Then the Philistines said, Who did this? And they said, Samson, the son-in-law of the Timonite, because he took his wife and gave her to his companion. So the Philistine came up and burned her and her father with fire. And Samson said to them, Since you act like this, I will surely take revenge on you, but after that I will quit. And he struck them, ruthlessly shoulder to thigh with a great slaughter. And he went down and he lived in the cleft of the rock at Etam. Samson killed a large number of the, uh, at this time. And Samson's wife, um, as we see here, uh, had, been, 
had feared the threat of fire from the Philistines more than she trusted Samson and um, ended up uh, suffering the judgment that she feared uh, would come her way. Verse 9, Then the Philistines went up and camped in Judah and spread out in Lehi. And the men of Judah said, Why have you come up against us? And they said, We have come up to bind Samson in order to do him as he did to us. Then 3,000 men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock at Etam and said to Samson, Do you not know that the Philistines are rulers over us? What then is this that you have done? And he said to them, As they did to me, so I have done to them. And he said to them, We have come down to bind you so that you may give you uh, in the hands of the Philistines. And Samson said to them, Swear to me that you will not fall upon me yourselves. So they said to him, No, we will bind you fast and give you into their hands. Yet surely we will not kill you. Then they bound him with two new ropes and brought them up, brought him up from the rock. So we see here again, Judah, like Samson's wife, uh, fear the wrong side. Uh, they think that uh, Philistines is stronger than the Lord's anointed one. Uh, they will soon find out uh, otherwise. But for now, Samson is very patient with them and treats them kindly. He makes them swear that uh, he, they will not attack him, not because he was afraid of them, but he was afraid that he, he would have to harm them, and that's not what he wanted to do. So it is <coughs> Judah, the royal tribe, that fears the Philistines more than the Lord, and they seek to turn Samson uh, over to the Philistines. It's kind of weird that the people of Judah had 3,000 men and the Philistines had 1,000. You think that you was 3, 000, three to one there, you could probably take care of that situation. But instead they went and they bound up a Samson. It's a, a little bit like another story when a young deliverer was betrayed by fellow Israelites. Uh, Moses sought to deliver his people but they would have none of it. They said, who made you ruler and judge over us? So as a result, Moses had to flee. Very similar to what's going on here with Samson. Verse 14. Then he came to Lehi. The Philistines shouted as they met him, and the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him mightily, so that the ropes that were on his arms were as flax that burned with fire and his bonds were melted from his hands. And he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey, so he stretched out his hand and took it and smote 1,000 men with it. Then Samson said, With the jawbone of an ass, one heap, two heaps, with the jawbone of an ass, I have smitten 1,000 men. And it came about when he had finished speaking, that he threw the jawbone from his hand, and he named the place Ramoth Lehi, or Jawbone Hill. 
in battle here, we see that this Nazarite comes in contact with death. Um, and we've noted that previously. We weren't sure exactly how Samson handled this, whether or not his entire life was a battle of sin, and or did every time that he come in contact, did he have to uh, cleanse himself for eight days and, and start his vow anew again? Uh, we're not sure um, exactly how that all worked out. Um, but we see here that uh, he throws away this uh, uh, unclean item uh, from his uh, presence uh, after the battle is over. Um, keep in mind here that the Philistines had a monopoly on all the iron products in Israel. And the Israelites had to come up with other forms of weapons. And here uh, he uses a jawbone. If you remember back in, uh, was it Shamgar? I think it used the ox goad and killed 800 uh, with that. So um, it was used here as a, as a weapon in the battle. Verse 18, then he came very, became very thirsty and he called to the Lord and said, Thou hast given his great deliverance by the hand of thy servant, and now I shall die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised. But God split a hollow place that is in Lehi so that the water came out of it. When he drank, his spirit returned and he revived Therefore, uh, the name is in Hakkor, the caller spring, which is in Lehi to this day. So he judged Israel 20 years in the days of the Philistine. I think uh, this episode is uh, a lesson to Samson, particularly, and a lesson to us as well. It's evident that his strength comes from the Lord. And that spiritual strength is often pictured uh, as water in the scripture. Remember the woman at the well with Jesus? I give you living water. Um, and so we see that portrayed again here uh, in reviving Samson. So once again, the author uses a parallel uh, remind us that Israel, uh, that God is able to deliver them. Having experienced, <laughs> expended all his strength, Samson pays for, prays for more strength, and so that does not fail, fall into the hands of the Philistines. And he did for Moses in the wilderness. God split a rock here and provided water to Samson. So this deliverance from the Philistines uh, is a type of um, a new exodus that we see carried on. Uh, like I said, this was just the beginning. But we see this carried on through 1 Samuel chapters 1 through 7 as well. But here the theme is only hinted at because it's just the beginning of this uh, deliverance. The water from the rock is a reminder to Israel of Moses in the wilderness. Keep in mind that Philistines oppressed uh, the Israelites for 40 years, the same number of years that Moses wandered in the wilderness. Uh, if Israel uh, would follow the lead of their new judge, Samson, like they followed Moses, then he would lead them to the restoration of the promised land. But how often have we seen God humble us immediately after a great victory? 
so that we would not become proud and trust in our own strength. It is by the grace of God that he humbles Samson right after his victory to remind Samson that God alone is the source of his strength. He would die were it not for God's grace to him. So Samson opens up his ministry to the Israelites with great victories here. They were followed by 20 years of wise leadership and judging. But at the end of those 20 years, however, Samson fell into sin, uh, a sin that was pictured of Israel's sin. It was a sin of chasing, like we said earlier, chasing after the Philistines' culture. And in Samson's case, it was a, indicated by that by chasing after some of the loose women of the Philistine nation. And we will delve into the rest of the story um, starting next week. Any thoughts, comments, questions? Thanks for your input earlier. Brother Ken, would you close in a word of prayer, please? Amen.